Happy Black Friday. We love toys. We still on for pancakes tonight. Chris, you're on reg for the night. We're short staff. Wait up. I'm Emmett. You ever worked retail before? No. There's no day more harmful to retail workers than this day. What do we love? Toys! Good job. Places, everyone. Three, two, go, baby. Go Black Friday! Thank you very much. Happy holidays. What the f***? There is something wrong with the shoppers. Oh, we gotta do something. We're one hour into Black Friday, and we're escorting customers away from the store? No, 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 no. Was that the new guy? Our shoppers are going crazy. Whatever you do, don't let them gather. They're building something. At this point, we're just in their way. We're gonna have to fight. I don't think this night can get any worse. <laughs> Does anybody else just think that's funny? I told you they never die. We have to make a run for it. Exactly. Black Friday is over! Chucky says we're all going to die. Back up, homie! Sit and admire the stockings all filled up at last. Generations of all the glitter, silver and gold. I love it here. The police are here. Thank God. It's the time. Got your tour buses right here, mother. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of. Fresh Cats, it's Mike, and joining me as well, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, holiday shoppers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing well. I avoided, I think, 99% of all my shopping, uh, or at least avoiding other people while I did my shopping <laughs> is what I meant. <laughs> it, the percentage goes up every year. Like... Uh, there was a while where I still managed to end up at the store, whether it was last minute or just out of curiosity. But those days are kind of in the rearview mirror for now. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Joining us as well, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, doing great. Um, I'm, uh, I actually managed to get all of my Black Friday shopping done at home and uh, managed to do it before noon. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, I, my Black Friday was uh, a lot more productive and fruitful than uh, what transpired here. <laughs> but cool. uh, yeah, yeah, doing good. All right. Well, well listeners can uh, take that little sneak preview of Dawn's opinions on the movie as they'd like, because uh, we'll find out shortly the full extent. But yeah, we're covering Black Friday. Uh, it hit, I think, a couple weeks ago on vod and uh let's find out what we thought a group of toy store employees must protect each other from a horde of parasite infected shoppers a horde is a little strong word for Eh. what we get out of this movie but yeah horde like i'd go swarm more than anything but that's just (laughs) personal opinion <laughs> Not that I'm trying to rewrite their professionally written uh, promos or anything, but uh, mm. I would have gone with Swarm more than Horde. 
<laughs> yeah. So there's a few uh, recognizable faces to everyone in this. Uh, Devin Sawa, Michael Jai White, and of course, I think the major selling point on this is probably Bruce Campbell. The girl, the girl from, well, I was going to say, it's the girl from Pan's Labyrinth. She's finally yep. grown up. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, Ivana Barquera. Oh, I love her. I mean, all I, right. Pan's Labyrinth is, is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I'm a little biased on that. Guillermo is my favorite director of all time, so, yeah. Oh, I kind of figured just this was going to be a selling point. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. And, I mean, it's funny, too, because I don't usually pick out grown-up child stars that quickly but literally as soon as she hits the screen i literally yelled out ophelia <laughs> i was like yes all right cool <laughs> oh and all yeah right. some guy named ash is also in this but uh yeah, yeah okay. no one cares about him anymore <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right well we'll get to our general thoughts so venom black friday will tell us what you thought Man, going into this movie, I had no idea that there was a, a sequel planned for Slacks. Uh, because after watching this movie, I felt like I just watched Slacks. Uh, if you guys remember Slacks from last year, um, once again, a horror comedy based around a retail store. Uh, pretty much all of the issues I had with Slacks, I had with this movie as well. This is a horror comedy filled with incredibly hateable characters. And I understand why the filmmakers do this. They do this for laughs and for cathartic death scenes later in the film. Because who doesn't love to see an asshole get their comeuppance at the end of the movie? Unfortunately, I'm the kind of horror movie watcher that I don't like that shit. You know, if it's a horror comedy, I want to laugh. I don't want to be frustrated for half the fucking movie. There's one character in this movie that is ten times more selfish and just absolutely disgusting, more disgusting than anyone that was in Slacks. And we'll get to that in the spoiler section. But yeah, uh, I will say, and, and the funny thing is that a lot of the positives that I said about Slacks, I'll be saying today for Black Friday. There's some good gore. There's um, obviously there's a cool creature design here. You know, not so much with Slacks since it was just a, a pair of killer jeans. But um yeah, like, I, I, I thought the gore was cool. I thought it was mildly fun once the third act kind of hit and we start seeing, you know, more action. It turned into a little bit, you know, and, and just like Slacks, Black Friday has its, you know, big horde scene where the store is overrun. And, you know, whereas in Slacks, there's just dead bodies all over the place. This one, there are dead body parts, not whole bodies, but there are some body parts here and there. And then, you know, of course, uh, the marauding, you know, infected shoppers uh, collecting items to build some kind of structure actually made me uh, made me think a little bit of uh, uh, Mike. What was that French zombie movie from a couple Ravenous. of years ago? That Thank you. Ravenous. Yeah. Because the zombies or, you know, the antagonists of that film, same thing. They were building these structures that no one knew, you know, what the hell they were. Um, unfortunately, in that movie, we don't really get a true answer as to what they were doing. It's kind of left up to the interpretation of the audience. In this film, we actually do get an explanation of what they're doing, what they're building. Maybe not an explanation, but at least we see a culmination. We see what they were working towards uh, at the end of the film. So at least we kind of get an answer here. But yeah, 
Folks, I, I, I can say this with 100% confidence. Go back to the Slacks episode, listen to that. Every single word I said in that episode goes with this movie as well. So I, this, this is going to be one of my shortest general thoughts because ultimately this is a barely middle-of-the-road horror film. I think I may have chuckled twice throughout the whole thing. And the funny thing is, too, is that all of the really effective comedy in the movie came from non-human characters. Like, all the human characters actually trying to be funny just rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I love Devin Sawa, but even he in this movie is a little annoying and kind of stupid. And I think that kind of goes with everyone in the movie. Every single person in this movie, other than maybe Ophelia, Marnie, uh, Ophelia from Pan's Labyrinth, uh, is an absolute dipshit. I mean, from the top all the way down to the bottom. Just a store full of morons, except for this one girl. And, you know, all of that just equals doesn't work for Mr. Venom. So ultimately, I'm going to say this was an okay watch. It's it's not like I regret my hour and 24 minutes that I spent with it. Thank God it's a short run time. And it does get to the action really fast, so you're not waiting long. I mean, I think literally in the opening scene, in the cold open, we get like our first view of the parasite in question. Um, so, like I said, this movie has some positives. I feel like it has more negatives than positives. It's not anything that I can really, really recommend. But I will say uh, a good cast, even though they play kind of idiots. But I guess that's what they were instructed to do. So I, I blame the director more than I would blame the actors. But, yeah, at, to me, this is at best middle of the road. I do not think I will return to this film ever. I was really hoping to get a new, like, post-Thanksgiving annual watch to go with my Blood Rage watch. But no, this is not going to be it, unfortunately. So, yeah. Um to quote, uh, to quote some guys that I kind of respect at times, two thumbs down from Mr. Venom. <laughs> okay. Uh, Don, do you have your thumbs ready to point up or down or in the middle? No. Uh, unfortunately, mine are uh, going to stay by my side uh, right down the middle. Um, I, I was actually kind of shocked. I didn't know that this was going to be a secret underwater kaiju from outer space episode. Um <laughs> We'll uh, reveal that joke for late. We'll save that joke for later. But um, yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of in the same league. I was uh, kind of disappointed with this one. I was kind of expecting something much more over the top and maybe leading more towards campy than what this ended up being. Um, even though uh, my expectations weren't uh, realized, uh, there are some major issues here. Venom touched on one of them in that uh, everybody in this is probably far too stupid to actually be legitimate real retail workers. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that any of these people have never actually worked in a retail store at all. Uh, there's absolutely zero forethought into any of their plans. Every single one goes kerflui at the slightest possible inconvenience and it just escalates from there. Um, so I, I'm with him on the general stupidity of the characters here. But uh, a lot of it is also due to the fact that I think the the fact that the zombies are actually the, the zombies don't actually do anything to specifically target the people. There's huge stretches of time where they just kind of stay off to the sides and they stay hidden and the zombies don't do anything. 
So it, it to me, they, I'm not as fearful of them as um, other films of this type where they're uh, a lot more relentless, a lot more marauding. Uh, when they do attack, they're fun. I do like, you know, I do like a lot of the attacks here. The gore is fantastic. Um, was it just me or was it, it uh, the credits went by kind of fast? Was that Robert Kurtzman doing the effects for this one? Because yes. I thought I saw that was him. Yeah. Yep. That's him. Yeah. So um, as expected, the gore looks great. The zombies look the the zombies look amazing. But yeah, um, it, I really wanted this to be a lot better than what it was. Um you know, like Venom says again, uh, the final act is where it uh, kind of raises itself back up. There's a lot more fun there. There's a lot more action, but I don't know. I, from what I, this was being sold as, I was expecting something a lot campier, a lot sillier, a lot more over the top, and uh, it just didn't deliver. But even if, like I said, even if my expectations weren't met, I do think there are issues with it. So uh, uh, I'm kind of uh, right in line with him. I'm in the, right in the middle. <laughs> all right uh as far as i go pretty much same in line with you guys going into this my my expectation i i didn't see a whole bunch on this ahead of time i just knew kind of the premise i knew bruce campbell is in it i i figured you know they're casting campbell in the role of some some type of uh retail worker i wasn't exactly sure um you know what he'd be doing in the store but of course like the whole the whole time you're thinking oh like this is gonna be like almost a mock s mark situation where he's you know this master employee but kind of switched up in this a little bit as far as what he specifically did in his role but um i don't know if we've made this comparison on this show or i just heard it some else but i think it's pretty apt this is basically like the crystal light of beverages it's hey crystal light is an awesome drink i like crystal light there's nothing (laughs) wrong but that's the thing there's nothing it is light yeah like it's not bad but it's definitely meant for when you want something you know a few notches down from that crazy ridiculous sugar yeah oh no i i have that daily that's a daily drink for me well, yeah, but you drink it because you're not supposed to be drinking yeah, like the, like the highly real sugary drinks either, though. It's really a substitute drink. Now, some people just like it as a regular drink, and that's fine. But uh, when it first came out, it was kind of designed for uh, to give people their sweet fix without, what, the 50 grams of sugar and, like, soda yeah. and other drinks. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this is a – to me – Movies like this only work when they go over the top and really give you mm-hmm. something crazy. And it felt like through most of the running time, I thought maybe they were playing with us a little, taking it slow, and we were going to get this big over-the-top third act. When we get to the third act, something culminates, but it feels like it just sits there and mm-hmm. stagnates. And you're, you're you see you see in front of you the potential for something to go big. But it almost feels like because of this being like a lower budget movie, they really had no business kind of like doing that bait and switch because we get something and you're just like, okay, it's coming eventually because I see what they're presenting us now. And it just never comes because it turns into mostly everyone's kind of standing around and looking at the thing. Um, Yeah. Does it make it a bad movie? No, it's it's not a bad movie. It's just kind of like medium. And a movie like this, you want it to be over the top and fun. And it just 
it lacks that. And I think in some cases that almost makes it more disappointing because you, you get the setup and you see the potential there to be something really fun. Like this, the, the cast is good. A lot of familiar faces that we listed off at the beginning. Uh, you have Bruce Campbell in the movie. Like it feels like a winning formula, but unfortunately there's just so many other movies to turn to. If this is the type of thing you want, so many movies that do it better. So many movies that are funnier, more action, more horror. Just, I don't know. This, this movie feels like it, it tries to take concepts from other movies and just doesn't quite put it together. And that's unfortunate. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm yeah. going to say very middle of the road. I mean, that's I, why I'm calling it a slack sequel because I mean, mm-hmm. I literally watched the movie scene by scene. It, it uses the exact same formula. It's almost the exact same formula with the, you know, with the front door opening and then getting, and then the back door opening and people, it just, I mean, it literally, it's like, uh, this director or writer saw slacks and decided, oh, we can do something like this just based around Black Friday and and hope that horror fans won't notice that it's the exact same fucking movie. So, yeah, uh, not a lot of credit being given to the viewers by the filmmakers. Um, I, I, this might be a first time director because the only or a first time feature director, because the only credits I can find for him are like music videos and uh, like documentaries about bands, like he did the Aerosmith documentary, stuff like that. Uh, a Steven Tyler documentary. Oh, it looks like he did. Oh, he produced a movie last year. But yeah, his directing credits are very slim. Uh, he's got one in post production right now. But yeah, uh, I don't know. This filmmaker just didn't really give his audience a lot of credit. Um, you know, we've already talked about the stupidity of the actors. I really, really hated towards the end of the second act when they started trying to interject drama into it. Like, first of all, we've already established that all of these characters are idiots. Why do you think I would have any kind of emotional attachment to any of them to want to hear their backstory or their, 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 you know, their sob story about having to work on Thanksgiving? It's like, oh, fuck you. Anybody who's worked retail has done it. Uh, I did find it kind of funny that that one kid, Emmett, his first fucking day in retail is on Black Friday. That's really interesting. That's like joining the army and going directly to France on D-Day. And it just that, that was a weird one to me. But yeah, whatever. That's a decision that the filmmakers made. But yeah, uh, the pseudo drama, just uh, that entire scene, I was disinterested. I actually pulled out my phone and started playing fucking Candy Crush. Because I was just so yeah. disinterested in the drama. Nothing against the characters necessarily as people. They actually seem like people I would hang out with if they actually existed. A lot of them, anyway. Um, specifically Devin Sawa. But watching him, you know, in the context of an audience member, watching him do things on film and then just make some terrible decisions. And when he comes off, early in the film, he comes off as one of the more you know, stable, maybe intelligent might be the wrong word, but, you know, kind of smart guys that at at least street smart, street smart. That's the term I'm looking for. He comes off as a very kind of street smart kind of guy. You know, he's got two kids, he's divorced or separated. I'm not sure which, but, um, but then, you know, once the shit hits the fan, some of his decision making is just awful. And again, you know, I understand that you have to suspend disbelief. These are people that have never dealt with a monster situation before. But it's like once they were in it, 
And once they kind of had a grasp of what was happening, they were still making incredibly stupid decisions that was just taking me out of the movie every, like, yeah. five to ten minutes. And yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. that's unfortunate. Because this really, on paper, this is a great cast. And I will not take away anything from Ivana Barquero. Uh, I thought she did great. You know, she was very likable, probably the only character in the movie that's somewhat likable. Um, the only one who has, like, a decent head on her shoulders and... Ultimately, she's just kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to say bit player, but her, her biggest character arc is that people think she's dating Devin Sawa's character. And it's like, really? That's what we're getting for her? You know, she went from one of the greatest films ever made to this? Like, I felt bad for her. Uh, I will say her English got awesome, by the way. <laughs> I know. I almost do. I can even detect any hint of a Spanish accent. Exactly. Yeah. She, uh, whoever her voice coach is, great job. Kudos. But yeah. Maturity, but. Exactly. Maturity <laughs> um, but... voice coach. I'm going to lay blame on both parties. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Might as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, the comedy in here that was human character based didn't really work for me. There was a, <laughs> where I found the movie to be the funniest was a fucking defective stuffed animal. There's oh, I stuffed, love that thing. Oh, there's <laughs> a stuffed hysterical. animal in the movie called uh, Dower Dennis. And he's, he's defective because he's constantly speaking, even though he's not being prompted to speak and sparks come out of him, blah, blah, blah. And all through the movie, whenever we see him or interact with him, he just says the most depressing, the depressing things ever, but it's fucking comical. It's funny that a company actually thought this doll would sell, because if you were to give this doll to a suicidal kid, that kid's got about a week to live. Because that doll will depress you. That kind of weeks pushing it, but still. I'm being I'm being as generous as I can. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Yeah. I mean the only specific line of his that I remember is the very last one he speaks, right before the stuffed animal is destroyed in a fire. He act and, and this is a pre recorded line in this stuffed animal. Word for word, it's my wife left me, so I guess I can do whatever the fuck I want. That's a stuffed animal from a toy store saying this. So <laughs> I'm assuming that's why it was pulled because they, they pulled the product before Black Friday, but they still had a couple of them in the back room. But yeah, that's where I found all the comedy. And one of the funniest scenes I thought was when our main bad zombie, our main zombie uh, grandma, let's call her for all intents and purposes, um, actually pull she thinks that she's about to pull Devin Sawa out from a hiding spot but she actually pulls out Dower Dennis and he I can't remember his exact line but he says something to her where she actually reacted like she actually tilted her head and was like hmm yeah and then just kept marauding you know looking for human victims I I don't know that that's the kind of shit that worked for me comedy wise. Everything that the human characters were doing and saying, I just didn't find funny. I didn't find it entertaining. Um, uh, this movie, just like Slacks, again, we have a shitty store owner and a shitty store manager that mis, uh, you know, mismanages and, and mistreats everyone in the store, blah, blah, blah. There's, of course, the inevitable new guy that I already mentioned, just like Slacks, except in Slacks, the new girl was the main character, and here, Emmett was just a bit player, but... I mean, yeah, th this movie is a carbon copy of Slacks, and you know what? I think I'd rather watch Slacks most days, because at least with a no-name cast, I won't be as disappointed with the material. I don't blame Devin Sawa, Michael Jai White, Bruce Campbell, or Ivana Barquero 
for how poorly this movie's written. I'm not going to blame the actors for how bad it's written, but I'm I got to blame somebody. And ultimately, you know, if it comes down to ever wanting to rewatch one of these, I'm going right back to Slacks because at least. You know, it was no name. And there was a little bit of a message, too. The message, if there is social commentary in this movie, it gets a little muddy towards the end. And we'll, we'll go over that in the uh, spoiler section. Whereas with Slacks, it wasn't even really under the surface. It was right there in the surface. You know, it was about child labor, slave labor, you know, it, especially in third world countries. You know, it was very obvious what it was about. This one, there's kind of a message but it it almost doesn't work because of who the protagonists of the film is are. Excuse me. So we'll go over it in the spoiler section. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, this movie is you know it's got a lot of problems: writing, uh, pacing, editing. Uh, you know, very little of this is. I, I don't. Even, I can't even think of anything from the score right now. So the score left absolutely no impression on me. Um, you know, I mean, what else can I say without spoiling anything? It's it's not anything that I can recommend unless you are a diehard Bruce Campbell fan, because we haven't really spoken about him. And he's Bruce Campbell. You know, he's not bad. If you like Bruce Campbell, you're going to like this role, too. He comes off as very swarmy, very charismatic. He has a character turn towards the end, uh, you know, kind of a Almost like a redemption moment, but a very head-scratching redemption moment, which, again, we'll go over in the spoilers. But, yeah, I, I definitely have more problems with this movie than things that I liked about it. And that's unfortunate because it really had the potential to be a fun, you know, Krampus-like, just, you know, seasonal movie that we all kind of gravitate towards every year. And instead, I, I'm going to forget about this movie by New Year's. And that's unfortunate. Uh, yes, I <laughs> agree with all that. Like Bruce, Bruce Campbell is Bruce Campbell. Uh, he, he could basically walk onto <laughs> any set and just do his shtick and it'll be fine in 90% of movies because that's really what they bring him there for in the first, they, they, you know, they hire him to be Bruce Campbell for most movies anyway. So that's almost a given when you put him in the movie. Is it enough to save this one? Eh. Unfortunately, I don't think so. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's probably watchable for most people. Like, I won't say it's unwatchable. It's not that bad. But if you're a fan of these actors in the film, then I would say check it out. You may like it more than any of us did on the show. For whatever reason, it might work for you. Maybe you like horror comedies that throw a lot of annoying, hateable characters into it just so that we can get those cathartic death scenes towards the end. If that's your thing, then you definitely will like this movie more than I did. Um, sure. Practical Me effects. Too, I almost, I almost wasn't mm -hmm. even sure that many of the deaths were cathartic. No, exactly. Because that's something that we're going to talk about in the spoiler yeah. section is the quote unquote deaths. Um, I, I won't say it here in case anyone is still planning on watching the film, but yeah. I'm going to say this is your spoiler warning, folks. I think at this point we're going to go ahead and get into yeah. spoilers. Luckily, it's a short movie. This won't be a quick one. Uh, or this will be a quick one, excuse me. But, um, you know, if there's anything else, Mike or Don, that you wanted to bring up before we get in? Not before spoilers. No, All I right. think I'm good. All right, then. So... Our movie opens up. It's the day before Black Friday. We see a couple of warehouse workers in the back of a store warehouse. We're not sure what store yet. 
and they find this just pulsating gelatinous blob um, just in the on the floor in the warehouse, just indiscriminately sitting there. One of the workers, of course, you know, uh, works up the bravery to walk up to the thing. And of course, as soon as he nears it, we see this weird, you know, um, <laughs> almost phallic thing come out of it and sprays something into the guy's face. So already we've got double entendre type stuff going on. But yeah, that's pretty much your cold open. As soon as the guy gets sprayed in the face with whatever it is at this point, we don't know. Uh, it goes right to the title screen. And then we are introduced to the employees of We Love Toys. I'm going to skip Devin Sawa's whole, because uh, I mentioned it earlier. He's a dad. He's divorced. He has two daughters. Uh, he has custody of his daughters. Um, it's Thanksgiving. He has to work, so he has to drop his daughters off at his ex-wife's house and her new husband. And that's all I'm going to get into with that. So it's basically just very family drama type with some funny stuff kind of mixed in. I did kind of like how the youngest daughter hated her mother's new husband and had a few comments to make about him. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but anyway, like I said, we're at this point introduced to the employees of We Love Toys. Yes, that is the store in question that we're following. Um, if the store itself looks familiar as you're watching the film, they actually did use an, an old Toys R Us uh, to film this movie. Of course, we all know all the Toys R Us uh, stores in this country are closed. Um, and so it was an easy shooting location for them. So good on them. All right. So uh, we've already been introduced to Ken. Ken Bates, played by Devin Sawa. We're then introduced to his kind of romantic interest. It's very obvious from the beginning that these two aren't really an item so much as they've maybe had some fun here and there together. You know, maybe they've gone home a couple of times together, something, something along those lines. Like you, like you can tell based on the way they kind of speak to each other that they're not actually dating or engaged or married or anything like that. You know, it's just kind of a fling, kind of like he says in the film. Uh, we are introduced to Chris Gadecki. Uh, played by Ryan Lee. Uh, he has been at the store for four years, but he's uh, he's one of those guys that's kind of very skittish. He's a germaphobe. He's constantly using um, hand sanitizer, which, yeah, the pandemic must be great for people like that. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he's like I said, he's this little skinny white boy. Uh, you know, he's very skittish. He, he doesn't really have any confidence. You know, we've seen the character a million times before. So you basically already know what you're dealing with. Uh, next, we are introduced to Archie, who's played by Michael Jai White. He's kind of he's like, you know, it's Michael Jai White and he's a big dude in general. But with this cast of short people, he looks even taller. He looks like he's almost seven feet tall in this damn movie. Um, and he plays just one of the warehouse workers in the back at the toy store. Uh, that handles like, you know, shipments and deliveries and whatnot. And, uh, you know, he, he he's a badass. I mean, he's you know, he's got the badass attitude. We all know Michael Jai White's awesome voice. So, yeah, um, again, the, the name actors in this film all do a decent job. It, you know, the, the dialogue may not be great, but again, they didn't write it. So I'm not going to blame them. Uh, we are introduced to Emmett, played by Louis Kurtzman. Hmm, wonder if he's related to a certain Kurtzman who did the effects for this movie. Um, he plays the new guy, Emmett. Uh, today is his first day, which, as I said earlier in the non-spoiler section, who the fuck starts their retail career on Black Friday? That's crazy. I, I understand stores might want to bring in new help, but wow, 
How much do you have to hate yourself to allow that to happen, <laughs> to work Black Friday as your, not just your first day at a new job, your first day in retail ever. And Emmett looked young enough that this could have been his first job ever. And you're literally throwing them to the wolves. So, yeah, I, I guess there was some comedy there, you know, supposedly, but I didn't see it. Um, we're introduced to Anita. Anita is like the assistant manager of the store. She's she's kind of the kiss up goody two shoes bitch who's got her nose completely up Bruce Campbell's ass, you know, just kissing his ass. And, you know, she's the model employee. In fact, uh, when we first meet her, she's polishing her employee of the month plaque, which has her name on it, because apparently she's the only one who's ever won. Uh, you see her name repeated multiple times. She's the only one that's ever won uh, employee of the month or the year. I think it was the year there. I think they said employee of the year. So um uh who else do we have and, and then you know we meet a couple of random customers and shit obviously you know we get the scene of them opening the door uh the big you know pile of people just rushing into the doors you know getting into fights breaking items on the sales floor to try to get them away from other people we actually see somebody uh steal from santa <laughs> santa actually is in the store somebody dressed as santa obviously um, we see him shopping and picking up items. There's one item in his hand that's big, so he puts it down to grab another item off the shelf, and somebody comes from behind him and just grabs the item and runs away. So, yeah, even Santa's not safe at Christmas, folks. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, we're we eventually are introduced to a woman wearing a gold grandma necklace. This woman is basically the Karen of the film. Uh, you know, she's the one who she has a problem with uh, Chris, uh, who's not a new guy. Like I said, he's been at the store for four years, but he usually works the floor today on Black Friday. He's assigned to work the register, which he's not happy about. And literally one of his first customers through his line is this older woman who just I mean, she is just merciless to this guy, calling him a bitch and a slow fuck and just it just completely goes off on the guy. And then even when Brian, the store manager, uh, you know, shows up to try to assess the situation, the old woman is still swearing up and down and calling him a useless prick and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, there's that. Uh, remember grandma, she comes into play later in the film. Um, let's see. So at this point, um, I forget who the absolute first person to get attacked is. I think it is Chris, the new guy. Um, I think he's on the sales floor, and at one point, one of the infected shoppers, who at this at this point too, we've got dozens of infected. Like that cold open, uh, definitely was the start of something pretty big. Because like I said, at this point, we've got dozens of infected. Uh, that number grows as the movie kind of goes on. We never really see them all at once, which you know, kind of to Mike's point earlier about them being a quote unquote horde. We never really see them gathering except maybe a couple of scenes like through the glass uh, while they're outside and the store employees are inside trying to, like I said, assess the situation. Oh, where do we go from there? Uh, at this point, employees just start getting picked off left and right. Uh, I forgot to mention that when Chris first gets attacked by the woman, Everyone, all the other employees in the store think that Chris is at fault. They think that he attacked a woman, you know, just unwarranted, you know, maybe just because she said something or whatever. But Chris is basically trying to convince them, no, she physically attacked me. She had blood on her face. She didn't look right. Blah, blah, blah. 
the store, especially the store manager, Brian, uh, does not believe him. By the way, I forgot to mention, Bruce Campbell is the store owner. I may have forgotten to mention that at the beginning. Bruce Campbell plays Jonathan Wexler, who is the owner of We Love Toys. Isn't he uh, the regional manager? Oh, he might be. You might, yeah, you might potentially yeah. be right. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Since, since yeah, because he case. keeps on complaining. Because he keeps on complaining about corporate. So I don't think that he, if he's complaining about corporate to giving him shit, then I don't think he would be the he would be the owner. I think he would. Be well, the, he, could, he could still be a franchise owner because franchise owners, you know, because like, I know I know a guy who owns a Subway, um, but he still works for Subway. Like he still has That's to. That's true. You know what I mean? He still has to set the prices uh, at what Subway wants. You know, he can't give extra turkey in the turkey club, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I, maybe I, right, yeah. I mean, it, it, you, either you're or. probably more correct that he's a regional Yeah, manager. either or. But yeah, yeah either so, or. So anyway, like I said, um, no one believes that Chris got actually got attacked, so they actually zip-tie him to a chair, which just really upsets me, especially because Marnie's sitting right there and she just allows it to happen, even though she knows without a shadow of a doubt that this skinny little wormy kid would never just randomly attack a customer. It doesn't make sense, but um, eventually the new guy Emmett comes out after having been transformed and he starts attacking other members of the store. That's when uh, like Michael Jai White and and Bruce Campbell are now, you know, in, in agreement that Chris didn't actually attack that customer. So they let him off. You know, they, they cut the binds that are holding him down to the chair, the zip ties. And uh, they start formulating a plan. Um, at this point, they realize that someone left the back door open and that even though the front doors are completely closed, because after the attack on Chris, after that first attack, uh, they decided to just empty the store completely. They asked all the customers to leave. Uh, they basically make an announcement that will reopen in like an hour or two. You know, once the police get here and once we get this situation taken care of, we'll reopen the store and people can continue with their shopping. Um, we get, we get an actually kind of a cool scene where, uh, one of the older women who works at the store is standing at the front, uh, the front gate of the store, like the front, uh, entrance. And she sees the police coming and she's like, Oh, look, the police are here. And everybody, you see everybody take like a sigh of relief. Uh, unfortunately the guy behind the wheel is not conscious and the, and the car goes right through the front of the store and runs over our friendly old lady. So Yeah. Um, a non-zombie death there for you. Probably one of the only deaths that we actually see, because as Don mentioned earlier, I say deaths with quotations because it doesn't seem like they're actually, they're trying to convert. Like uh, like the description said, it's a, a parasite-infected shoppers. Um, I, I, you know, the term zombie, I, I'll still use it because it is still a horde of, you know, wild ravenous beasts basically. But the funny thing is about here is that these wild ravenous beasts seem to have a purpose. Like they're organized. And there's a couple of scenes in the film where they show their organization. Um, the first one is the fact that they are building a structure in the middle of the We Love Toy store. Um, no one really knows what it is. But then finally, Marnie goes out to the floor. She sneaks out onto the sales floor. And sh what she sees is that uh, people that have been infected with the parasite are basically allowing themselves to be absorbed by this large, bulbous mass of just shit. 
I, you know, I'm not sure what else you can call it. Ectoplasm, I guess. I don't know. Um, and, and that every time one of these people gives it, gives themselves unto, you know, this thing, it gets bigger. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So it's very much the blob. If you want to look at it that way, uh, just much like in the original blob, how every time it ate someone, it would get bigger, kind of the same concept here. Um, and then the second thing that shows how organized these zombies are is that at one point, Chris gets out of the store. Um, a few, like three or four of the remaining survivors start to hide in one of the 18 wheelers that delivers toys to the store. But one, once Chris finds a hatch at the top of the trailer, he climbs out and he tries to see if he could potentially get away. What ends up happening is he sees one of his co-workers who is now a infected, you know, zombie. Uh, but instead of the zombie just reacting and running towards him and attacking, he actually walks away out of sight. And Chris, for a second, thinks he's safe. He's like, oh, OK, cool. But then as soon as Chris turns around, we see about 30 zombies run around the corner, all being led by that first zombie that saw him. So, I mean, these are some smart fucking zombies that plan um, at first, I thought it was going to be like a hive mind situation, like maybe there was like one master kind of controlling all of them, but that, don't really get that impression once you're done with the film. Um, they definitely all have a single purpose, a singular purpose with their existence, but it's like they all just instinctively know what to do, you know, without anything being explained or blah, blah, blah. Um I don't know. Uh, like I said, there's various set pieces where people get picked off, um, where people get transformed. And when I say picked off, I mean like they're dragged off screen. Uh, other than the woman who gets hit by the cop car, I don't think we actually see any on screen death. We see attacks and then we see people getting pulled off screen. Like like when Michael Jai White, uh, unfortunately, is taken from us we see uh, the main monster kind of grab him by the head and then just lift him out of the camera frame. And then we see like, you know, some blood and shit kind of fall to the ground. So, I mean, obviously we can assume he's dead at that point, but yeah, no real on-screen death in this movie other than the old woman getting run over by the cops. So go yeah. And that's kind of what I was mentioning earlier about, are these deaths supposed to be cathartic? Yeah, that's what I mean, because halfway through the movie, that's what I thought. Like, you know, like with Slacks, they throw all these hateable characters in there so that we can enjoy watching them die. In this movie, we don't really get that, which is probably why I prefer Slacks, because, you know, here we get all these people, you know, all these real shitty, just pieces of garbage human beings and then we don't actually get the satisfaction of seeing them get picked off. We do eventually see Brian. Um, and by the way, if you guys remember during the spoiler free section, I mentioned a character who is 10 times worse than anyone in Slacks. That is Brian, the store manager. This guy is such a fucking scumbag that I, I literally I was seething watching these scenes in this movie. Every time that he would talk shit to Chris, every time he would talk shit to Devin Sawa's character, uh, basically every time he talked shit to everyone in the store, he had this holier than thou attitude. Um, 
I, I don't know if that came from his homosexuality because he's very obviously gay. He's flamboyant. He's a very flamboyant guy. Um, I don't know if that's where that kind of sass comes from. But, yeah, he definitely had the attitude of I'm better than all of you and I'm not going to do shit for any of you to the point where later in the film, sometime in the third act, he actually bites Devin Sawa's arm, but then convinces uh, Ken, Devin Sawa's character, that he was bitten by one of the creatures. Literally, he which this is what I mean also about the stupidity of some of the characters in this movie. It's never established in this movie that getting bit turns you into one of them. Uh, literally they saw Emmett spit his stuff out of his mouth into Anita's uh, face. Anita was the uh, kind of the floor manager or the, um, the assistant she was manager. The yeah. yeah she was the the suck up. Up. Exactly. So, Literally, everyone who's still alive in the store sees Emmett spit these white, uh, it kind of looks like tendrils, I guess you could call them, just white kind of sea anemone type tendrils, and they kind of attach to your mouth, and then eventually they go into your mouth, which then, you know, converts you into one of these, you know, uh, parasitic people. Um, but yeah, uh, the other thing, what was the other? Oh, and then at one point, Devin Sawa finds someone in a bathroom stall. Uh, he he drops a bottle of wine. He goes to clean it up and he looks under the stall door and he sees a pair of feet that he doesn't recognize. What the fuck would you do in that situation? I could think of it like I could think of like five different things that can be done in this situation. Guess what? He picked leave the, the room, worst. leave the room, leave the room, close the door, leave the room. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, leave the room, uh, leave Bruce Campbell in there so that the monster gets him and not you, um, you know, quietly try to walk out or arm yourself and try to take out what you know is behind there. But nope, he does the one thing that you shouldn't fucking do without arming himself in any way, shape or form. He just goes and opens the goddamn toilet stall door. And guess what? He gets attacked instantly uh, by the guy that turned out to be the truck driver from earlier in the film who was having some stomach issues. Uh, but yeah, th this is what I mean about the stupidity of these characters is that even when they've been in this situation for hours and, and they have a grasp of how everything works, they're still making some of the stupidest decisions. By the way, did anybody notice that no one put on a mask? And I'm not talking about COVID at this point. I'm talking about the fact that they all witnessed Emmett spit his tendrils into Anita's face. And at no point does anyone think, hey, maybe I should put a mask over my mouth or my face. And then I started to think, hmm, I wonder if that's some kind of message. Like, you know, the unwillingness of people to wear a face mask during a pandemic. Here is another situation where literally wearing a face mask would fucking save your life. You would not get infected because it, thus far we only see those things enter through the mouth and they're in a toy store. I mean, you can't tell me that there's not hockey masks or some other types of masks in there or, or fuck. Don't even you use a mask, get a T-shirt and just wrap it around your mouth. This is yeah, this is just another example of the rampant stupidity displayed throughout this movie. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's get to our finale. Uh, once, obviously, like I said, people are getting picked off left and right. Bruce Campbell ends up uh, trying to do something heroic that makes zero sense. He basically sacrifices himself to a small horde 
of the creatures, but it's like, and, and then as soon as they attack him, they stop attacking the, uh, the rest of the survivors. And I'm thinking, did you know that was going to happen? Like, that doesn't even make sense to me that you just decide I'm going to sacrifice myself and they're not going to continue to attack the rest of my employees. I don't know. That was a weird head scratching decision, kind of a shitty way to take out a horror legend as well. So, you know, uh, minus two points there for that. That's just unacceptable. Um, like I said, once we get to the point where we are down to our final four survivors, that's Brian, the piece of shit manager, Ken, Devin Sawa, Marnie, uh, you know, from Pan's Labyrinth, and Chris Gadecki, you know, the, the, the younger kid, not the new guy, but the guy who's been there for a little bit. Um, once they are the last four uh, survivors, they are able to get out of the store. Um, I forget how exactly. I think they, oh, right, they run up to the roof. And then after Bruce Campbell sacrifices himself, two of them accidentally fall off the roof into a dumpster of garbage. And then Devin Sawa just says, fuck it, and follows him down there. No, he was he was still inside the store because oh, he right. was, yeah, he was, yeah, you're yeah, right, you're right. yeah, because Devin was uh, trying to lead the zombie away because he still thought he was infected with the bite. Exactly. God damn it. That bothered me so much. At one point, too, th this did make me chuckle. At one point, Devin Sawa actually is pissed off that he hasn't turned into a zombie yet. He's literally like, when the fuck are you going to take me? This is taking forever. That was mildly yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that was my favorite part, too. Yeah, it wasn't bad. All right. So, like I said, um, at this point, all four of our survivors are outside and... Um, uh, the the gelatinous giant thing that's been being built up more and more throughout the movie finally takes shape. And it's basically a giant fucking Lovecraftian monster with chicken wings for arms, which I don't understand that decision, but whatever. Because it's like this thing, if you just look at its face, it's fucking menacing. It, you know, it's almost got like a thing, uh, like the thing type face where it's like two faces melded into one kind of split in the middle. That part looks awesome. But then when you see the wide shot, it's got fucking chicken wings for arms. I'm not kidding. I'm not even exaggerating literal chicken wings. Um, at this point, Brian decides that, uh, Oh, Oh, by the way, I haven't actually mentioned that, uh, the main zombie that we've been kind of following that's been attacking Devin Sawa and the one that has like the really cool creature design is wearing a gold necklace that says grandma. So if you remember our toxic Karen from the beginning of the film, she is now the big bad of the movie, at least at this location. Um, and I will say, yeah, these featured effects are great. And I did like how the longer these people were infected, the more their bodies mutated. Because after a while, too, like um, the truck driver, uh, you know, who attacks Devin Sawa, we see him later outside and his face has started to morph into that vaguely, I don't know, almost bird-like. It, it, like, it looks like they're growing a beak, but with fangs out of the middle of their face, you know, you know what I mean? And they're obviously mutating. Some of them are getting bigger, stronger, things like that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so yeah, we get the reveal that the main bad, bad zombie is grandma from earlier. This is when I started to think that maybe there is some subtext in this movie about uh, consumers kind of fighting back against corporations. But then I, I found it odd that if that's the message you're going for, why are we following the corporate side of it 
um, as our protagonists. You know what I mean? So it's like the the message. If there is a message there about consumerism and corporate greed, it's kind of muddied based on the people that we're following, because ultimately it's the zombies, the consumers that are the the quote unquote antagonists of this film. And these shitty people like Bruce Campbell and Brian, who only care about profits, are somehow our heroes in the film. So it's it's definitely, you know, like I said, if there is commentary, there might not be. It might just be me looking too deeply into it, as I tend to do. But if that was something they were going for, like I said, it just gets really muddy uh, towards the end of the film, like whatever message it is they're trying to send us. Okay, so at this point, um, like I said, our four survivors are outside. Brian, the shitty store manager, decides that he's going to try to reason with this monster. Mind you, folks, this thing is about, I don't know, 40, 50 feet tall. It's burst out of the ceiling of the store, and the store didn't have low ceilings. So this thing is gigantic. I mean, it's fucking, it looks like the creature from the end of Deadly Spawn. If anybody saw that 80s movie, Deadly Spawn. (laughs) Yeah, it's a creature size. Yeah. Kaiju size. Mm-hmm. It's a kaiju oh, very. Size oh, it, it's it's a Lovecraftian kaiju. Absolutely. Yeah. Because <laughs> that thing is Lovecraftian as shit. Just to look at it, it's like, oh, what the hell is that? And, and then, like I said, you see its size and how slowly it moves, and it's like, oh, that's a kaiju. <laughs> so yeah, Lovecraftian right. kaiju. Stands and stares at it for the rest of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But anyway, like I said, Brian decides to try to reason with it. He walks up to it. He starts trying to have a conversation with it. Mind you, this is Brian, maybe six feet tall, maybe a little over, talking to a 50 to 100 foot fucking monster that's just destroying this toy store. And literally, he's like, oh, I know what it's like. I know what Black Friday is like. I know you consumers don't like being treated like secondary citizens. But he's trying to reason with it. Finally... Uh, just when he thinks he's making progress, of course, we get the inevitable, uh, the monster takes one of its chicken wings and just flicks Brian off screen. Uh, once again, we don't, the shittiest person in the movie and the only satisfaction I get of watching him die is just watching him fly off screen. And that's it. We, we, we never see him again in the film. So yeah, uh, some weird decisions made here, both by characters and by filmmakers. Um, after that, uh, Chris uh, Gadecki, the young kid, gets a forklift. Um, And earlier in the film, he talked about how Brian, the manager, forced him to take forklift training, even though he never, ever drives a forklift. Ha ha, foreshadowing. So, yeah, at this point, he's now driving the forklift. And what he's doing is he's just basically parked in front of the creature and at one point, he starts yelling at it. He starts antagonizing it, basically, from the forklift. At that point, the creature has its own set of those tendrils that come out of its mouth, and he spits it, or she spits the tendrils at the forklift, and, but, but it hits the forklift, and it doesn't hit Chris in the driver's seat. So the creature is basically trying to pull the forklift towards it, and Chris has the forklift in reverse, you know, just basically flooring it, trying to create as much resistance as possible. And then finally, what he does is uh, he basically releases the brake and then jumps out of the forklift. The forklift then rapidly gets, uh, you know, 
kind of projected towards the creature and the two tines, the forklift tines. I'm not sure if there's an official term for those, but I'm just going to go with that. Uh, the forklift tines basically impale the monster in the face and it ends up dying. And that is inconsistent because no one in this movie was able to kill one of the normal size monsters. Like there's literally the Emmett monster literally is beaten the shit out of at least three times in this movie. His head is torn up. Uh, they stabbed him multiple times in the eye and the neck and he's still up. And Bruce Campbell has a great line where he says, see, I told you you can't kill him. Um, and, so the fact that they were not able to kill even one of the little ones throughout the entire movie, then they kill the big one by throwing a forklift in its face. Uh, it's a little hard to swallow. And, you know, ultimately it's a horror movie, suspension of disbelief, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, um, ultimately, yeah, that didn't really work too much for me. And then of course our final three survivors, uh, they end up driving away, and then we get what's probably the coolest shot in the movie. I actually love the final shot of the movie. Basically, it's a long shot. It's like a wide shot, and what we see is the car with our three survivors in it driving past the camera in the foreground, but then in the background, we see two more giant monsters that are apparently at other you know, uh, retail store locations that... Uh, basically, all the infected monsters there are doing the same thing. They all, you know, built up this big Lovecraftian beast. Um, but unfortunately, our group was the, it looks like, at least at this point, at the end of the movie, our group was the only one that was able to deal with theirs. Whereas the other two in the background are still kind of marauding through the city. And not the city, but the stores that they're sticking out of. Um Mike was talking earlier about limitations of budget. That's probably why we never see the giant creatures actually walk. The only thing that we see from the giant creatures is they burst out from the, the roof of the store. And then they just kind of stand there almost like they can't move, like they're sedentary, you know. But they, you know, they, they can still shoot the tendrils and, you know, flap its chicken wings around and kill people, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah. The the whole ending just kind of doesn't really work for me, but I will say I love that final shot. It's very CG, obviously, but it's a very well done shot, and it, it just kind of leaves you with that oh shit type feeling. Like, yeah, our heroes got away with it, but that city is probably still getting destroyed. Um, um, literally, unless the heroes decide to go monster to monster <laughs> explaining to people how to kill them. I guess that's a possibility, but... Um, they kind of joke, though, at the end that they're going out for pancakes, because that's basically um, Ken and Marnie had plans to go get pancakes after their Black Friday shift was over. Uh, and they were joking about it throughout the movie. Oh, we're getting pancakes still, right? Blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, at the end of the film, uh, they talk about wh where were they going? Was it the police station or uh, safe house? Safe house. That's where, the, that's where the family is. That's right. That's where his daughters were. Yep, yep, yep. So they were on their way to the safe house, and then he makes a joke about wanting to make a stop first. And, of course, it's for pancakes. And that's your movie, folks. Black Friday 2021. A lot of potential, but also a lot of disappointment. But like I said, I think there's there's going to be a certain amount of horror fans that like this movie a lot more than we did. So I would still recommend watching it. it this isn't something that I would say absolutely avoid. No. You might find it way more fun than any of us did, but 
obviously because of the amount of movies that we watch and, you know, the critical eye that we have to use while watching these movies, you know, it's kind of hard to uh, ignore all the flaws in the film. But like I said, still worth watching, especially if you're a fan of any of the stars in this film. Um, for the most part, like I said, they do a good job with their role. It's just that the characters they play are incredibly stupid. So you kind of have to deal with that. But there you go, folks. About all I've got to say about it. What do you guys got left? I was going to say, if you're into this kind of film, why don't you check out Witness Infection? That was a, oh, far, yes. be- that was a far better zombie comedy, I thought. Absolutely. Oh, much, much. Head and shoulders better. Yes. I'm kind of surprised that one hasn't gotten any love at all. Yeah, that one didn't really have. I, I think uh, that one girl, Tara Strong, was probably the only name actress in it, right? I don't think anybody of there's name. A, there's a few if you knew who they were, but yeah, I think that may be like the big marquee yeah, name on it. Exactly. So I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, how we recommend it. We reviewed it here. We recommended it. Hopefully, you guys took that recommendation because. It is a fun little movie. It's a little derogatory towards like Italian crime families, but it is a horror comedy. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, much better. And even like I said, Slacks, I think on any given day, I'd rather watch Slacks just because that movie was a little less disappointing than this one, Cause, especially because I had no expectations going into this one. I didn't expect a classic you know, a Black Friday type film out of this. I was just hoping for something fun that I could return to, you know, every Thanksgiving or whatever. And unfortunately it it fell a little short for me, but that's it for me, folks. Yep. Everything he just said, same. (laughs) I'm so underwhelmed. I just don't have much to say about it. Yeah. Yeah, My recommendation was basically my final parting shot. So there you go. (laughs) Uh, all right. Well, Venom, why don't you let everyone know where else they can find you and what the latest episodes are? All right. Let's see. Uh, the main show, No More Room in Hell, uh, latest episode is still episode 40, the Italian Horror Month episode, uh, where we looked at House of Clocks and Graveyard Disturbance. Uh, we've got Mike's Picks coming up on the next episode, which will be recorded, uh, what, uh, like 10 days from now, uh, we're recording on a Saturday, which is unusual for us, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out just because all and specifically it was because of me, because all my Sundays in December are taken, unfortunately with other shows. So, um, so yeah, the, that's the main show creature comforts. Episode three is officially out. I finally finished editing it and released it. That's our first episode with a guest, Bo Ransdell from the Legion podcast network. And the Dark Parade joined us to discuss 1954's Them. So check that episode out. Uh, Everything I'm talking about today is on darkdiscussions.com. So check that out. On It's Not Horror Okay, we recorded what potentially is our favorite show we've ever done. I've been with this show for two years. They existed for about a year before I joined. And this episode was spectacular. We looked at... The classic stoner comedy, 1980s Cheech and Chong's next movie, and had an absolute fucking blast. It was the most fun I have ever had on a movie commentary. Um, And yes, I am biased. Uh, I do love Cheech and Chong. So um, 
check out that episode. I'm pretty sure that episode is available now. Like I said, our one of our most fun episodes ever. You know, if you if you just like hearing a bunch of idiots goof off while watching a Cheech and Chong movie, by all means, check it out. It's classic. Um, let's see. Nothing new on the um, in the mic of madness front. Just our 1981 episode still available. Um, no new. Uh, no new guest appearances that uh, are available now. I will be recording one with Cuts of the Chase next week where we look at Jack Frost 2. Yes, how the hell did I get myself roped into that? I don't know, but there it is. And I also have a guest spot on Cinema Attack next week, uh, but this will be for their Christmas commentary show. And I actually forgot which movie we're doing. We're doing a weird killer santa movie that i actually had never heard of but uh ne- next week I'll, I'll know specifically what it is because we're recording it this coming sunday so that'll be available and i think that's all from me guys all right don what do you got coming up all right so i've got um as venna mentioned uh, episode four episode three of uh, creature comforts we're um i think we're just trying to find angle when we're gonna get the uh december one recorded but that one should be sooner rather than later. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we settled on Santa Jaws, right? Santa Jaws it is for December. <laughs> yeah, that's our uh, that's our holiday seasonal uh, creature feature that we came across. Because for, for some reason, nobody wants to do a damn reindeer on a murder rampage. You know? <laughs> All these freaking Santa slasher films. Let's just do a fucking killer reindeer or something. I'm... We need a creature feature holiday film for once. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, and then uh, I'm, as I mentioned last week, um, my brand new show, the Horror Countdown Pod podcast. Uh, I've actually already recorded the first two episodes. I just haven't edited them yet. But um, I have uh, two shows ready to go for the launch. Um, I'm going to be recording three more this week. So I'm going to have a bunch of stuff backlogged and ready to go. Um, Still looking, you know, still open for anybody that wants to come on board. Um, I've got social media links for that out. You can find them pretty easily. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, about all I've got for now. Okay, so for me... I've got a guest spot on Cut to the Chase coming up sometime soon. And like Venna mentioned, no more room in hell in about 10 or so days. And then maybe a Christmas commentary episode as well, if we can get that scheduled in. Those usually are not too tough to schedule. Pretty easy episodes to record as well. Um, And other than that, I think there's, what, two more fresh cuts for this year until we hit our week off and all that kind of stuff. So um, are we done with theatrical releases for the year? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. because uh, I think last week we said that um, Resident Evil was the last one until um, that um, Ethan Hawke movie in January. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, Scream. I don't know if Scream's first or that other one. but I, I think I, Scream. Scream's January 15th, I think. I'm not sure what Black Phone is. Yeah, I, I don't either, but I, I think that's the next one. It's either Scream or Black Phone. I'm not sure. That's crazy. If Scream's the first one, that's like one of the bigger 
starts to the year that we've had in a while, like as far as like something hyped up, you know, whether it's yeah. good or not, well, we'll we weren't wrong going to know, but. Well, I mean, we've, we've had a few really good January releases over the last few years underwater. Um, yeah. uh, what do you call it? Us, uh, Jordan Peele's us was a January release. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others. Cause I know, Oh, VFW last year was a January release. I'm not sure. Invisible man, I think was February, right? Last year. Yeah. Cause invisible mm-hmm. man was the last one. Cause I think it was, it's uh main uh-huh. run was interrupted. Yeah. Yeah. The hunt and invisible man were the last two theatrical releases before the pandemic. So I think that was like February, March, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, color out of space too was January last year. So January is definitely making up for lost time. January was always looked at as kind of the dumping ground for shit horror, especially like, you know, Hollywood theatrical horror. They just would dump it in January. But over the last, I'd say, three or four years, January has really bounced back. And if we're getting Scream and Black Phone this January, um, I think they're going to continue that streak of good releases in January. So. Let's hope we get uh, that stigma away from January. There's no reason for a month to be looked at as a dumping ground for any horror, any movie genre, let alone horror. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right. And then as far as we go, yeah, we'll be picking from VOD for the next two weeks and there's a ton to choose from. So I don't even want to lock anything down at the moment because... There's a ton out there, and I want to try to pick something good because I'm tired of being underwhelmed with 20. Ah, well, good luck. <laughs> hey, that's not yeah. fair. You don't get to watch it first and then pick it for the show. That's no, okay. we'll I'll go in. Well, not 100% blind, but I'm not gonna screen stuff first to figure out. But we can just. I just meant like instead of trying to make the decision right here on the on the show. Oh sure. But uh, yeah, so two more episodes. For 2021 and then first thing is a list show coming and then january releases wow it's already about to be 2022 that's crazy oh um, good <laughs> this is the second yeah. year in a row and i think most of us will be happy that the year is over mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, well <laughs> i was gonna say well yeah with that said we're gonna get out of here so thanks for listening we'll catch you next time let's say bye to the listeners Adios, holiday shoppers. Later. Peace.